0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Product Happy Hour, where you can go to happy hour with your favorite product people. That's us in your sweatpants. It's been a while. Good to see everybody. We are product folks here to share what we've learned, often the hard way, over great drinks. Why happy hour? Why not? It's the best way to get the inside scoop from Grizzled Vets with the scars to prove it. Thanks for giving us a listen. The best ways you can help us keep this party going is to head to our website and subscribe at ProductHappyHour.com. And please consider supporting the show with a paid subscription. It's either $5 a month or $30 a year. That's literally one Starbucks latte a month or one DoorDash order a year to keep this sucker going. Finally, please, please, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for easy listening anywhere, anytime. With me, as always, is Zira Johal. Hey, Ara, what's happening?
1: Hi, I am so happy to be back. I feel like it's been a long time since I've actually taken the time to pour my alcohol into a fancy glass instead of just drinking it straight from the bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's been a while. I'm happy to be back. In today's episode we're going to talk about how to develop that PM spidey sense. It's what helps shape your product intuition and decision-making. And I hope you all come away with an understanding that product sense is not some like Marvel superhero power you have to be born with. It's actually a muscle you can develop. And there are some super practical things Ajay and I did to help develop our intuition and become more capable product leaders. And we're going to drop all that hot knowledge on you today.
0: Yeah. So if you decided to listen to this episode, you'll learn how to prime your heart and mind to think and lead like a product manager. As for our drinks today, I am drinking an Irish coffee because I'm tired and I need it. Okay? Don't judge me. I just spiked my morning (laughs) coffee. uh, And there's no better way to start the morning. Ira, that looks like fancy glassware, just like you talked about earlier. So I'm guessing it's like a gin something.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like um, gin with a splash of gin and then garnished with gin. Don't judge me. (laughs) I just like what I like.
0: All right. Okay. Well, today's drinking game word is intuition. So if you hear us say intuition, take a swig of that cocktail if you've got one or your morning coffee, maybe you're driving into work and play along with us. And let's roll into the episode. Sound good?
1: It is an excellent topic. And I want you to know that a lot of people have misconceptions about Product Sense, which is why this episode is very important. And I think it's kind of the shiny, vague object that when you like look at a product manager and you're like dazzled by their ability to predict how this metric might move or they have these cool feature ideas or they make good decisions about what to prioritize. A lot of that comes from developing product sense. And yeah, like I said, there's a a misconception that it can only come from years of experience or you have to be some like, you know, sweaty, grizzled veteran like us. It's complete (laughs) bullshit. (laughs) Um, Product sense can be developed and it's all about how you approach the world, not just your job. Um, So yeah, I think we should get into it. And maybe we start by defining what it is.
0: Product Sense refers to a product manager's ability to understand what customers want and need and to translate that understanding into successful products. It involves a combination of intuition, creativity, and analytical skills. That seems pretty important,
1: right? Yeah. I mean, how do you practically apply that though?
0: Uh, You know, in tons of ways. But if I had to summarize, having... Strong product sense, yeah, uh, it really lets us make informed decisions about what features to include in a product, how to design and develop it, and how to position and market it. It also helps us identify opportunities for innovation and to stay ahead of the competition. I liken it to like it, we were talking about this earlier. It's kind of like your spidey sense. It's especially useful when you don't have as much to go on. Like you're maybe you don't have the perfect user research. Or, you know, maybe you're building from zero to one. And, you know, when you're doing those types of activities, Proxness really comes into play, right?
1: Yeah, you're like out of quant and you're like, okay, rely on my intuition. Drink. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Well, you did it.
1: Do you think um, yeah. Steve, Steve Jobs had Product Sense?
0: Yes. And I think probably when people talk about Product Sense, that's who they picture in their minds. Uh, you know, Steve Jobs was widely recognized for his Product Sense, which was critical in the development of many of Apple's iconic products. He had an ability to anticipate future market trends, identify unmet customer needs, and translate that understanding into innovative products. He was deeply involved in the development of products and had a hands-on approach and was known for his obsession with design and simplicity. Uh, And his heart and mind were primed to examine his products and the competition's products. And the awesome thing is that can be honed and developed. You don't have to be just born with it. Steve Jobs wasn't born with it. and so you know developing this sense is is definitely a possibility.
1: Yeah, I th- I think that's intimidating, right? It's like if you have to be some kind of mastermind to be good at your job, it's like okay, well, I'm never going to be that or if you're just starting out or trying to transition into product, um the refreshing thing is you don't have to have had these years under your belt or be some kind of like crazy genius like Steve Jobs. And it all kind of starts with like these two main categories how to prime your heart, or like, you know, you make a lot of decisions emotionally, and then also how to prime your mind to kind of be in product sense. I think we should start with heart. um, I'll take this Mm -hmm. first part. Okay. So I think the first way to prime your heart or how you kind of think about things emotionally is to be empathetic. Um, In my opinion and my personal experience, um, you need three things. You need to have this empathetic approach because um, it will allow you to be open to new ideas and new methods. Um, and it will also allow you to seek inspiration and allow yourself to be inspired. You don't always have to be right. The answers don't always have to come from quant. You'll be surprised how often they come from unique places.
0: Yeah. And I and I think my f- this is my favorite one on the list is being empathetic. Um, that's... You know, really centered around understanding users, features, and opportunities. I think it's the best. It's really my favorite one.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. What are some ways you've like built empathy and how has it helped you at your current job?
0: I think there's a few key things I did early on in my career, even before I was a full blown PM that really helped me be more empathetic to users. Uh, First, I simply just watched other people interacting with products. You know, I think it's important to recognize uh, that you may not be the most representative user. In fact, if you're working in technology, you're listening to this podcast.
1: You're definitely not. (laughs) You're
0: probably an early adopter of technology. (laughs) Yeah, like there's a pretty good chance we're not, you know, your average user. Uh, There are tons of different expectations. Other than your own for the same product. Um, you know, and that can manifest itself in, in different ways. You know, we were talking about Steve Jobs earlier. I love watching the iPhone keynote. Have you seen that?
1: Like so have many you watched, times. Like, the keynote? It's uh, embarrassing. Full
0: way, full way through. Yeah. I, I mean, um, if you have an interest in technology and you haven't seen that, I highly recommend, you know, if you want to pause us and go watch that, I highly recommend it. One of the things that Really comes across in that keynote is that he really has empathy for how people really use their phones and how uh far behind the competition was for what people wanted to be able to do uh you know he brings up all of these old phone models and how they had like these physical plastic keyboards and how You know, they have these tiny screens that were low resolution. So you can't like watch your favorite YouTube video. You can't read the New York Times, which is an example used a lot. So it really showed just how much empathy he really had for what people were struggling with out there. And there are a lot of famous stories of him like hiding in bushes and watching people shop at the Apple store just so he could like get a glimpse of what you know, real people's behavior was like for the things that he was working on. But that that keynote, I think, is a, a masterclass in just really walking through what real problems real people have. Um, and then in terms of just real life examples of where I've seen uh, where you really can kind of get a sense for really what confuses people um, and how that can manifest itself into making a, a great product. There was one example really early on in my career where I was building a product for property owners at Verbo to help them manage their business on their phone. And there was a function where you would create quotes as a property owner for travelers planning on visiting your property. And um, I asked users to come in so that I could see them use the product They could tell me what their problems were, et cetera. And I was I still remember there's this lady and I, we were in the conference room, she was using the product, and the taxes were being calculated wrong, which is actually something that we were doing wrong. So but she thought it was just the way it was designed, so she would always have to pop out into her calculator, calculate her taxes with her tax rate. And then come back into the app and and do that. And she was like, you know, I love the way you guys built this feature, but I don't understand why you're making me calculate my own taxes. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) It really showed like, oh, one, defaults are really powerful, you know? Um, So if you're calculating a default tax rate, that one, that's ideally what people want to use. Two, if you're not doing it right, they're not going to assume that it's a bug. They probably just assume that that's just how the product works in some cases. So then people will find, and three people will find workarounds to, to those, you know, issues. But you know, you'd probably have a lot better shot if you just fix the default, right? Which is what people are going to want to use anyway, but you're use you're making it harder for your, uh, for your customers. And I still think of that as like a formative event because it's, it really showed me one what people are really doing and what they what they think about and what they care about, but two, like just how putting those hurdles in there can really like discourage somebody. I, I feel like once I found that, one, I felt bad for this lady, but two, it also dawned on me that this is probably preventing a lot of people from using this product because they just they get there and it's this like huge roadblock that we never would have thought about if I just if I hadn't sat down with a customer and figured that out. And you accumulate that. So now, every time I see something like that, I'm like, "Oh, if we don't get this default right and we don't calculate it properly, then these people are going to leave. They're never going to use your product. You're going to lose trust. You got to get that stuff right."
1: I mean, yes, um, that's a very formative experience, like something that's stuck in your mind and you use it as a reference, which I think is really good. Not a lot of people do that. Like, I think early on, I would like see people using the sell side of eBay, what I called at the time, the wrong way. And I was like, oh, this user could use a tutorial. And as I matured, I was like, actually, I think we could make some changes because a lot of people um, are not going to like type out a good title. Uh, maybe we need to start recommending titles, for example. Yeah, let me push us forward though. So, yeah, beyond being empathetic, we also want to keep ourselves open to new ideas and to seek inspiration. And I, th- I love this one because it's really made me flexible and innovative at my job. I think through like, okay, so, h- so how do I go about doing this? And how should you go about doing this? Well, I've had a lot of success um, keeping myself open to new ideas by keeping up with tech blogs or things like Hacker News. I mean, they can be entertaining. Like I read Reddit and search Reddit for feature ideas and user problems like way more than I probably should. Um, I also use it just like personally, (laughs) but yeah, I, I think that's a good way to stay fresh is like, if you see someone else solving the same problem, a different way, um, that gives you a little bit of fodder, um, for your own app or how think just thinking, just knowing that there are different ways to solve the same problem is really freeing because it can prime you to be a little bit more creative at problem solving and solutioning when your back's up against the wall. Um, The second thing is I also like to cross-pollinate product ideas. That's just like my fancy term for literally finding someone in a completely different industry, like a nurse or someone in finance, and ask them how they would do X um, I've been doing this a lot lately because if you listen to our last episode, you'd know that I just joined a new job at TikTok looking after search. And so I've been doing this thing where I will ask like a non-tech person to watch a TikTok and then I'll ask them like, okay, what keyword would you enter if you wanted to find this video or this type of content on Google? Because like one thing we're trying to figure out is like okay the recommendations are so good but search is kind of hit or miss because a lot of the videos aren't descriptive like you you watch like a funny like uh clip from you know Hassan Minaj or you watch like a funny clip um about someone like making like a dolphin out of chocolate it's like what are you gonna search if you wanted to retrieve that um and when those videos don't have a ton of content you know, it's hard. They don't have keywords. The search experience can't extract that video and pull it up. So I'm literally asking my dad, I like show him a video of like how to clean um, a cast iron skillet. And I'm like, dad, okay, what would you search if you wanted to find this exact video? And he like tells me something like super crazy, like how to clean disgusting dishes. I'm like, dad, that's not going to bring up the skillet. He's like, but it's a disgusting dish. And like that helps take me out of my mindset, which is like very mechanical, like text matching and TFIDF and all these search features that are already in my mind. Just like a user expect, like my dad, expected to use search in a conversational way and way more abstract than a machine would figure out. And that kind of like helps me stay, keep my mind open to like developing features that are more in tune with the way different people think does that I mean it's pretty interesting right
0: Yeah uh, 100% I mean I think that type of work is really really helpful I, I think we get some of that also when you're checking out other products and yeah. you see how they handle those types of things um yeah. it can be it can be really really helpful too to build that uh, build that skill set up right because then yeah, you I, see like oh okay so they're dealing with that ambiguity by doing X, Y, Z. or maybe you yes. use like you know Yeah. Or there's like a pre-fill, like in that case, maybe there's like a pre-fill, like uh, cleaning cookware option. Yeah, You click on it and then it takes you to some sort of genericized algorithmic view.
1: Exactly. We're totally in our own heads and getting the perspective of other people um, is going to help broaden um, the way you solve problems. Another way I stay open to new ideas, like within my role is to encourage experimentation. So, you know, in, in search, we have to run experiments. It's kind of like how you improve an algorithm. But even if you're not in a search function or if you're not a PM yet, let's say, you know, you're working at a bank um, and you have an idea for how to improve a workflow or a process, encouraging experimentation or having an experimentation culture, like how would I test this assumption, um, can be so huge. Because it can kind of change um, the the way uh, you understand different problems and solutions. I, I quite frankly think like setting up mental experiments, like okay, how would I test this in my product, or how would I test if this skincare actually works. I'm literally running that experiment right now. I like bought, I paid way too much, AJ, for like a this like medical grade like skincare to help with some of my like blemishes, and I was like, all right, for a fucking week. I'm just going to do one half of my face. <laughs> and I'm going to see if it gets better than the other side because I'm always like, did this work or was it just like my skin cleared up on its own or because I took my vitamins? You know, so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to use it on half of my face. It's day nine and I haven't learned anything yet, but fingers crossed.
0: You're really dedicated to the idea of experimentation, which I love. I'm totally here for it. <laughs> 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 that's that's a real dedication right there i mean i i i really do love experimentation I mean you learn so much um from not only when your experiments succeed but when they fail uh i and I think it's really critical for developing that product sense i mean you know uh all too often you run into stakeholders in your organization leaders that are a hundred and ten percent convinced. That whatever feature or change yeah. that they want to see happen is going to work. Yeah. And experimentation is like a cleansing fire. It really just burns down uh, all of the things that you think you're going to work. You believe in your heart of hearts is going to work, keeping with the theme. And they don't. Um, and be- it's because experimentation gets your ideas in front of real people. And real people don't give a shit what your strategy is. They don't give a shit about what wonderful idea is or how much work went into it. Yeah. They care if it meets their needs or not. And if it works or not. And if it doesn't, you're going to find out real fast. And that sort of stuff sticks with you. It's just up there. Totally. Right? It's just like When you get out, feedback, you're, you're like, oh. You always hear it in the back of your head. When you're thinking about building something, you're like, uh. I ran some of this, <laughs> <just> didn't work.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. So,
0: oh, uh, uh, and also being open to feedback. So we've said this before, but it's worth repeating. You know, good ideas can come from anywhere, and hearing how your product or any product out in the wild failed or succeeded is an excellent way to develop a sense of how different features impact different users. Um, so, so wonderful, wonderful points. Uh, I want to transition us into how to prime your mind to build. Uh, product sense. I've tried tons of strategies and there are some that have really paid dividends. Does that sound good?
1: Yeah. I say, let's go for it. And intuition, because I'm thirsty. Oh. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> you did it. I'm thirsty too.
1: This gin is so good. It's Japanese mm. gin.
0: Really? Man, that so sounds good. amazing. That makes me really just want to go to Japan. I don't know if it's because we've just been cooped up in our house six weeks with a baby, but I'm ready to go to Japan. (laughs) I'm ready to go to Japan right now. Let's go.
1: (laughs) Okay. Take it away.
0: Um, My top three mindset hacks for developing product sense are all interrelated. Uh, One through three are be curious. One. Uh, Two, deconstruct products and evaluate success and failure. Or three. Uh, these have helped me so much. I want to share my process for deconstructing products because being rigorous about it has helped me take my learnings uh, and be able to actually apply them. I use a method called the product teardown
1: oh, in order to
0: identify. Hey, we nice. did it! Nice. Nice. Uh, in order to identify areas for improvement and innovation, um, it's like we were talking about earlier. You know, taking these products and seeing how they've. Really solve problems, how they've been successful or not successful at certain things is, is really helpful.
1: <clears throat> okay. Walk so, me through your tear down are because few, are you methodical about it or are you yeah. just like willy nilly?
0: Here's what I would say makes a lot of sense and then we'll walk through the specific components. But the way I like to do this is, you know, if there's a, if there's a product out there that I want to evaluate, um, I have a tendency to just kind of jump right in and start poking around first and and kind of getting a feel for things. Um, But then I refer back to a framework to kind of fill in the gaps of what is important to understand when tearing down these products. So, so I have a tendency and everybody does it, can do it differently. I'm sure. uh, But I have a tendency to like jump in, start poking around, start messing with things and then start progressively filling out this, like uh, this framework, whether it's, if it's, if it can only happen in my head because I only have a certain amount of time, that's fine. But ideally, you'd be able to write it down and and uh, you know really kind of process what you're seeing. Um, so here are the main areas. Um, identify the main components. Do this by breaking down the product into its main components, such as features, the user interface, and overall user experience. If it was an app, uh, for example, you could look at the menu and settings and interface and steal those labels. Uh, then analyze each component, uh, look at each component in detail and take note of any strengths and weaknesses. For example, consider the design of the user interface, the functionality of the features and how easy the product is to use. For example, if it was Uber, how easy is it to sign up as a driver? If it's a fantasy football app, how easy is it to evaluate your rank that week? For example, things like that. Next, identify unmet needs. Look for areas where the product falls short, or where there's there, excuse me, where there is room for improvement. Identify unmet needs of the customer and think how you can address them in your product uh, or in this product too. Uh, I find it's a really helpful exercise to do this, both for what's unmet, but also what this app is doing really well. So I think if I if I could add one more thing, it would also be where is the app really succeeding. Where are they really killing it? And why are they killing it? Um, and you know, it kind of gives you some insight into just how others successfully solve user problems. Then if you're working on something comparable, compare it to your own product. Identify any areas where your product can learn from the competition and think about how you can improve your own product to better meet the needs of your customers. And this is super helpful to do. Just you can do it on the fly. You can really sit down and start writing product documents. You know, it's really kind of up to you. But I, I like to do it as just like a bulleted list of like, oh man, here are all the things I learned for this product that are things that they did poorly that we could do better, or things that they're doing really really well that uh, that we could apply in our own product. Last but not least, I like to look for opportunities to innovate and differentiate my product from the competition. Think about how you can create a unique selling point or feature that sets your product apart. Doing this is the difference between being a product critic and developing product sense. You're actually using what you learned to reshape or shape a new or existing product, not just complaining about shitty UX, right?
1: I think what you just described is like An elevated pro con list. Like if you just make a pro con list about the Uber app, then you have a pro con list. But if you want to have product sense, you're taking those cons and you're saying like, okay, are these my cons or are these unmet user needs? Like who's the key user? Yeah, I'm never going to drive for Uber, but if I was a driver, is this helpful? Is this, you know, could this be improved? And then saying like, okay, what might I do? To improve this. And then how might I set up an experiment to evaluate if my thing is better? Like that is how you prime your mind and heart to be a PM. Um, it's so, it's, uh, there is a fine line. Like I have friends who are just hypercritical about everything. That is not (laughs) having product sense, like going to a fancy restaurant and complaining about every dish. That is not product sense. product sense is like evaluating what you would do differently or who might this be beneficial for other than yourself or how might this hurt um, the competition or create a strategic edge, if you will. Anyway, I think that was amazing. I think we should recap our strategies.
0: 100%. Let's do it. One thing I'll mention before we go into the recap and, and bring it home is that this is what some of the best product managers are doing, but also... This is what a lot of the best companies are encouraging product managers and product teams to do. For example, when I was at Verbo, we used to do these teardowns a lot. actually our our CEO, our product teams were encouraged, and he regularly participated in the process of doing product teardowns um, as a team and discussing them as a team, working through them as a team as a workshop. So, this is what happens internally. It's to your benefit to do this on your own, and it can be fun. It doesn't have to be like I have to sit down at my computer and do this product teardown. It should be something that you're excited to do. Uh, and when there's a new product coming out, check it out. Ex- do this exercise. You don't have to be, um, you know, sitting at your table doing it for three hours. You can do it on the fly, fifteen minutes when you're waiting in line for something you know that's how that's how I do it I like I don't know about you Ira I'm sure you do something similar but there every time something new comes out like it's
1: <laughs> well if something new comes you get out of for me
0: you just, I'm just yeah. like yeah
1: look at this thing it's incredible <laughs> he's bought it he's marketed it <laughs> he's like oh I wish I had this <laughs> well um I should say I know a lot of you listeners are uh, transitioning into product or product adjacent um, if you're not working on a product, there's absolutely no reason you couldn't do this on the stuff that you do work with regularly. Like, um, I know I used to work with a former engineer who was hoping to transition into product. She was like a, uh, a mom and her kid got some new remote software, like, um, you know, school online courses. And she broke that down beautifully. Like, Hey, like, this is what they did well. This is what I think they, they could improve. It would be better. Parents could help their kids more if this was available. So it, it's uh, totally possible to uh, not have years of experience being a product manager, but have really, really good product sense.
0: I'll end with a quick story, and then we'll recap through the through the ideas. But I bought the first iPhone. I'm sure a lot of uh, a lot of people listening. Either you were one of those people that bought uh-huh. the first one or you made fun of a lot of people that bought the first one. <laughs> and and I get it, you know, it was if you look back on it it didn't have exactly what it needed. It was kind of like a rich person's toy and stuff. And I did spend a lot of my first job income to buy it. And I enjoyed it, but looking back on it, it is an exercise in building product sense because I had the very first smartphone. I got a chance to see what that experience was look like, uh, what that experience was like. You get to play with a lot of the apps and understand it, understand the technology. Mm -hmm. When you're doing those types of things, it might seem like a waste of time on the surface, but really you're just building up that muscle of like, here's what this device does. Here's where it's succeeding. Here's where it's not succeeding. What can we do to improve it? Often I like to think of those ideas and then see if they roll those ideas out later on. Yeah. Maybe you think, like in the early iPhone case, man, this thing really needs 3G. It's on the edge network. That's insane. Then they roll yeah. out 3G and you're like,
1: yeah, I got it. Ah. That's,
0: that's good. It's a good, like, confidence builder. Yeah. So that when you need that muscle, it's there. You've been working it out for a while. You're not just building it from scratch, um, which is something that's really hard to do unless you're in the practice of it, you know?
1: Yeah, that's a great way to gauge if you've got good product sense is that you start to predict new features or upgrades. Um, excellent. All right. So let's recap. First and foremost, Sweet. we need open hearts and focused minds to develop product sense, not years of experience, not some fancy degree. And again, you do not have to be Steve Jobs level genius. <laughs> um, and <laughs> by open your heart, I mean these three things, be empathetic, Be open to new ideas and methods, encourage experimentation, and seek inspiration and allow yourself to be inspired. And to focus your mind, um, be insatiably curious, deconstruct products methodically, and evaluate them against other products. Don't just complain about them or, you know, fanboy the hell out of them. (laughs) And then, yeah, use this (coughs) Use this approach to create this uh, product muscle by not just doing it at your job or just doing it for tech products. Do it for everything. Do it for your kitchen knife. Do it for your car. Don't do it on people. But I mean, that's a possibility. (laughs) Um, Anything that I missed?
0: No, that's perfect. I hope you all learned a lot from our conversation. And as always, if you have questions, just drop them in the comments. Last but not least, I have a product breakdown to share, formerly known as a cool product thing, and recently branded to, uh, I don't know. I don't know what we should rebrand it to. Uh, obviously, comments are appreciated. Um,
1: I haven't thought about it.
0: Maybe... Product Sense. Let's see. Something. Product Sense workout. Product Sense gym.
1: Product Sense boot camp. Boom.
0: All right. Okay. All right. Well, you heard it here first. Product Sense Bootcamp. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, Our first new uh, segment, Product Product Sense Bootcamp. Okay. That's going to take a while to get used to (laughs) Okay. For this Product Sense Bootcamp, we're going to talk about YouTube TV Key Plays era. I told you about YouTube TV Key Plays. Yeah. You haven't seen it, right?
1: No. No. I have cable. Okay.
0: (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, YouTube TV, I guess we're gonna be just a billboard for YouTube TV now, but YouTube <laughs> TV excellent excellent product. It's basically like you said cable okay. online provided by provided by YouTube. and that seems kind of pedantic on the surface. but once you actually start using the product, you get to see what YouTube would do for TV. And this feature in particular really bought me into YouTube TV. I was like, man, YouTube TV, it's the best. To the point where things like this have actually made it harder to switch off of YouTube TV to something like cable. Oh, really? So let me tell you what this is. YouTube TV key plays. When you're watching a sports game, there are key plays that are happening in the sports game, right? Your okay. Somebody gets an interception, for example, like what happened in that stupid Cowboys game yesterday. (laughs) And um, those key plays are what make up a game. Often though, you can't watch a whole game. I have kids. I got to put my kids to bed. The games are happening usually right around bedtime. So I'm going to miss a bunch of it. Okay. So what YouTube TV came up with was a way to programmatically generate basically a highlight reel of all the key plays in the game while the game is happening so instead of having to wait until the end to get the highlights on youtube or something or instead of having to watch the whole game through for four hours Mm -hmm. youtube through its data analysis and collection figures out what the key plays are and allows you to catch up to the live part of the game through those key plays so instead of watching the two hours of the game that you missed it just says here are the eleven key plays that happened that you missed. Click here, you Whoa. can watch all eleven key plays. Like they just show you the key plays in like one playlist.
1: It's like football and then you just crack. cycle
0: through all of them until you get to the live game. <laughs> it is <clears throat> out of all the features that they have on YouTube TV, that one is my favorite one. It has saved me hours of watching games. Watching the parts where nothing's happening.
1: Commercials, um, timeouts. C-
0: commercials, timeouts, injuries, like all that stuff. And not that's a bad I mean, injuries suck. I, I feel bad for the people that get them, but you know, you get to skip all of that and 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 yeah. watch it. It's like you're watching the YouTube summary of a game be created live while you're watching the game. Very, it's very cool. Really,
1: Imagine if they had that for like movies. <laughs> Is that weird? I don't want People to rush through movies. movies. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, in a way, we're kind of doing that for like a careers, for product management. careers. We're like, just listen to this. Don't worry about it.
0: We're totally shortcutting. Okay. Um, it's a really brilliant thing. I mean, in ter- thinking about it in terms of product strategy. Hmm. One, it's a feature that you can't really get anywhere else. So it's keeping me as a YouTube TV subscriber, keeping me engaged because I can't get it anywhere else. So I'm I'm hooked now. And two, it's really solving a user problem. It's really getting into like, oh man, I can't sit and watch this game for four hours. Yeah. So let me just watch the key plays to catch me up and I'll watch the last hour or two hours. So from a user need perspective, it's solving that. But if you think even more broadly, More people might watch sports because they can just watch the key plays instead of having to sit and watch the game for three hours. I know it makes uh, a lot of people in my life really happy when I don't have to watch the game for four hours. I can just skip through (laughs) it, watch an hour of it, and watch something else, you know? So, and like, would you cover,
1: would you like watch more games if you used key plays? Like, can you? They don't just do it for one team, right? They do it for. Do they do it for all NFL games?
0: Yeah, they do it for all games, and it's not team specific. You just are watching the key plays from either team. So, for that, if I went to key plays for that game that you and I were discussing yesterday, yeah. Yeah. that shall not be named. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. We could talk about it. Thank you. Know, ugh, that game. Um, if. I wanted to watch the key plays for that game. They would show key plays for the Cowboys and the 49ers, for example. Okay. Um, and yeah, it's, it's pretty much every game. I haven't seen it not be available. So I might not be completely right about that, but generally it's there for, for every game that I've seen. And I do watch more sports. There are lots of games that I just can't catch. And normally yeah. I would have gone to like the YouTube highlights. Yeah. Um, But now I can just click on key plays, see what I missed and catch all the way up.
1: And it will take you to that part, which is, I think, what makes it different than like NFL Red Zone, which is very much like a passive experience. You're watching Red Zone, which is showing you all the key plays from all the games as they're happening, but you can't be an active participant to like, okay, go to this game. It's like, kind of like you're just watching.
0: Yeah. And I can skip through key plays. So if I already saw oh. a key play, for example, I could just be like, okay. yep, next.
1: Nice. I already saw that one. Okay, man. Yeah. That's a good YouTube deconstruction.
0: I think that's it for today. You feel good? Yeah, I feel good.
1: I'm at the bottom of this drink. I feel great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. My coffee's gone. All right. Well, that's a good way to bring it home. Thank you, as always, for joining us for Product Happy Hour. If you enjoyed Happy Hour today and listening to my three year old in the background get ready for bed, <laughs> please support us by supp- subscribing at our website producthappyhour.com and consider a paid subscription. There are two options. $5 a month and $30 a year for a Starbucks latte a month or one DoorDash order a year. You can help us keep this party going. It really helps us pay for, like, you know, microphones and editing software and stuff. So thank you in advance for your support. You can also support the show by following the show on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure you subscribe on those platforms and rate those shows. Hit the like button, rate them five stars on your platform of choice. It really helps us out. Follow us on Instagram or TikTok for clips at ProductHappyHR. And please share with your friends and spread the word. The more people at the bar, the merrier. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And we'll see you next time. Cheers.